0: It's a delight to be here. I am honored to have been asked. And if every, anybody ever tries to speak to you and does not admit that they have a bias or a point, they're lying. I have a bias tonight. I have a point I'm trying to make. I'm trying to persuade you to think something. Um, but I want you to look past my persuasion. And just I want to prompt, you know get, get the brain cells moving a little bit. Um, I, I'm an educator. I work in Christian schools for many years, um, and one of the passions that the Lord has put on my heart that has been a pursuit of mine for 36 or 7 years, and it was this young lady sitting in the front row that has been my wife for 35 years that really prompted the conversation, and that is, um, how did how did everything get started? How did we get here? The issue of origins. Um, are we are we a random chance? chemical accident of nature big bang universe 13.8 14.7 billion years are we just life by accident here on this planet earth because if that's true there's no point if we are merely the product of evolution there is no foundation there's no reason for right or wrong or ethics the only purpose of your life is to perpetuate your genetic code which translates in having as many kids as you can because there's because there's no accountability, there's no life after death. We're just chemical byproduct that happens to have consciousness, an accident of nature. What a dreary way to think. So I have a bias, but I have researched this because I was raised in the California public schools and I was taught the standard Dar- Darwinian theories and so forth. So uh, uh, more decades ago than neither of us would care to admit. Thank you. So if I can have the first slide, please, Tyler. There we go. Okay, so science. First of all, the word science just means knowledge. You ever looked at? Have you ever had the trouble spelling the word conscience? I do. I have to look it up. It's con means with, and then the word science. If you have a conscience, it means you're operating with knowledge. Science just means knowledge. That one's for free. Um, so where does science? Where does faith come in? What are facts? And in the midst of all of that, can we find truth? So, um, and so what I have for you tonight is basically a, um, I'm going to look at four different um, issues of science. First of all, dealing with things that took place on the surface of the planet Earth, dinosaurs, mankind, history, time. Then we're going to look at the planet Earth itself, because there's something about the planet Earth that might be an indicator that it hasn't been around for a long, long time. Then we're going to get out into the galaxy. You didn't know that galaxies have a problem, and we're going to get to that. It's called the galaxy wind-up problem. And then we're going to come back to our solar system. Do any of you remember back in November and December there was this comet that was coming from somewhere out in space and sort of, you know, called it was called Comet Ison. I've got a picture of it for you tonight. Stick around. So, next slide, please. Okay, Um, so. What I'm about to show you, now, this is not a court of law, but I'm going to show you some photographs and some diagrams that uh, knowledgeable people think are, um, are the truth, and want you to think about them for a moment and draw your own conclusions. So let's talk about dinosaurs. Next slide. Okay. Here's a photograph. In the foreground of that photograph, on the right-hand corner, you can see a human hand holding a ruler. And then on the left-hand side, you see a a scale that has centimeters on the left and inches on the right. So we have this carving in stone. This is a stone carving in Cambodia that we believe was made around 1,200. Call that 800 years ago, all right? Plus or minus a little bit. What What conclusions do you draw? from this picture what assumptions do you make what does this cause you to think about this is the teacher in me waiting for responses one would assume that the people who carved this saw something similar to what they were carving am i putting words in your mouth no okay that's that's a valid assumption okay perhaps there's a little bit more okay good good answer thank you (laughs) go to the head of the class is there anything else that you would derive from this Well, they were able to see it in some detail. Oh, okay. And we don't want any clicking, do we? Oh, you'll hear him. Oh, you'll hear him. Okay. Another uh, assumption that you might derive from whoa, hello, turn me down, turn, as my wife and children say, turn me down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to put words in your mouth either. What they what they tell me is turn the television down. The people who carved this is carved in stone. This is part of a large temple complex not too far from you may have heard of Angkor Wat. Um, the people who carved this had the skill to make something harder than stone. They had the skill to make metals which would carve stone in detail. People who could melt and combine metals harder than stone had some degree of scientific understanding of minerals in the earth. So the people who made this, these were not Neanderthals. These were not ignorant, foolish, stupid people. They had figured out how to carve things, they had figured out to take what they had seen and portray it in stone using metal objects. 1,200 years ago, what does that say? Circa 800 AD, 1,200 years ago, excuse me. The problem with that picture is the dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. Modern humans came on the scene between 2 million and 500,000 years ago. We've got a 64 million, dollar, 64 million year gap. We have a 64 million year gap between what we now call a stegosaurus and the people who carved this. There were no living stegosauruses according to the standard model. Hmm. Draw your own conclusions. Next picture. This is a jade. This is carved in jade. Jade's a stone. I would argue that that's really not a crocodile or an alligator the spikiness of the tail, and so forth. Uh, carved, And the dating of these things is very uncertain, but more than 500 years ago. Next picture is an interesting one. This is in the Grand Canyon, folks. This was discovered by American scientists in the Grand Canyon in 1879. It's called a petroglyph, which means writing in stone. Native Americans in this continent, six or 700 miles away, had seen some animal creature and they and this could have been done with other stones on stone but this was discovered that long ago what, what what does that look like to you is that a kangaroo yeah well we don't know i mean the hand there provides the scale of the drawing but again they're portraying something that most likely these people saw now, it was discovered in 1879. We do not know exactly when it was carved in there, but probably 300 to 1,000 years ago. Native Americans. One more slide. This is discovered in South America. This is a Peruvian burial jar. Look at that closely. This is made out of clay or ceramic. This is not a stone, a Peruvian burial jar. It had a top or a hole in the top. I don't know if it was for ashes or organs. But uh, when people died, parts of them or their ashes were buried in these things, or these things were found in burial sites. What do you see? Well, we we see a human being, what is apparently a man, with a helmet and some kind of a hammer or a weapon. And he's doing battle with an animal that has four legs, a large hump on the back and a very long neck. And if you look down on the bottom right-hand side, it appears to have a very long tail. South America, Cambodia, North America, different continents spread all over the world, different cultures, people who didn't speak the same language spread over hundreds and hundreds of years of time. What conclusions do you draw? tend to draw? You tend to draw that I didn't put that on properly. This again. Thank you. So, what conclusions might we draw from these four photographs? That, that he, humans, human people, mm-hmm. intelligent mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of these are all AD. Yeah, all after Christ. Relatively recent history, right? Okay, I think I've got one more, actually. And, of course, this is probably the prettiest. Next slide. Oh, nope. I'll tell you about this. This is also found in um, north-central Arizona. Now, either it's a dromedary camel with bad breath (laughs) or it's a fire-breathing dragon or the people who carved this in stone, possibly with other stones, but note the detail there. That's pretty accurate. It's pretty careful. Something going on with the tail, big horns coming out of the hood head, uh, whatever's going on with the feet. But definitely something other than its body coming out of its mouth. And one more, I think, come on, let's get to the, there we go. You've heard of the Ming Dynasty in China? Made some of the finest porcelain and ceramics. You go back and study Chinese history, and you will find stories of dragons all through Chinese history. There's even drawings of Chinese emperors being drawn in a chariot by animals that look like, um, well, let's see, a a horned toad on steroids, you know, 10 or 12 feet long, some low-ground-dwelling dragon-type animal. And again, all in the last 2,000 years. Now, is this proof... persuasive, isn't it? It might even be compelling. In a court of law, this would be called circumstantial evidence. Now, some courts of law actually allow circumstantial evidence. Some of you remember Scott Peterson killed his wife, Lacey, over here in Modesto a few years back, put him in jail, and after he was in jail, his wife's body floats up in San Francisco Bay. Entirely convicted on the basis of circumstantial evidence. They didn't have the body at the time he was convicted. The difficulty here is, while this is not proof positive, in all that I have read, I've never found an alternative explanation. No scientist, atheist, skeptic, author, apologist, philosopher, historian that I have read has proposed an idea to account for the worldwide depiction of large reptilian animals, both in myth and in art, different forms unless people of that era had seen those kinds of creatures. Um, and if you go to the southwest, uh, New Mexico, Arizona and so forth, you will uh, there are stories of thunderbirds, you know flying reptiles, 20 30-foot wingspans. You know pterosaurs is what we would call them today. Uh, and there's dragon and very artfully depicted dragons. I mean, who knows what the value of that base is? I'm sure it's in some museum somewhere. So, there's a bias here. I'm admitting that. Next slide. I have given you a web I'm going to give you a website and you don't have to write this down because I will give it to you before you leave. If you go to genesispark.com, there's their statement. The purpose of this website, this organization is to showcase the evidence that dinosaurs and man were created together and have coexisted throughout history implied human history. Okay. Now, the next statement is mine. This is compelling but not conclusive evidence, but there's no alternative explanations. Okay, take this idea, bring it into the book of Genesis, chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9. Noah, the ark, the flood. Whoa. Were there dinosaurs on the ark? If, If we accept the Bible as the inspired word of God and while not a scientific textbook, it will be scientifically and historically accurate. Then, if we accept that premise and we see evidence of mankind dwelling with large reptilian animals, then the conclusion that we tend to draw is there were animals, there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, is that possible? Entirely possible. There are some really scholarly books written on the volume of the ark, the capacity of the ark, the stability of the ark, um, and the, par- the probability that, um, A, you don't have to have a full-size, we used to call them brontosauruses, today they're called apatosauruses, you know, that weighed tons and tons. You can get a juvenile. doesn't have to be an infant, but you can get a juvenile dinosaur that's the size of a cow or a horse that will later grow, because reptiles don't stop growing during their lives uh, for as long as they live. Um, and there are probably only 40 or 50 kinds of dinosaurs. When I say the word kinds in air quotes, today we tend to think of animals in the terms of species. We are homo sapiens, actually homo sapiens sapien. sapien. Um, ki- a species is a man-made concept. The Bible talks about each creature after its own kind. There was probably a male and female of the dog kind on the ark. And from those two animals we get everything from foxes and hyenas and wolves, and um, all the breeds of domesticated dogs, all from one pair, because it's one kind of animal. You can interbreed a timber wolf and a coyote and have fertile offspring. Now, they have separated for whatever other reason and spread throughout the earth, but they're the same kind genetically, you know, they can breed together. I am the idea, what was that... uh, Super Bowl commercial that bred a Doberman pincer with a chihuahua, Doberman head on a chihuahua body. Scary stuff. But you can actually do that. I mean, it wouldn't look like that. So anyway, um, have I got you thinking about something? Something new to consider, perhaps? Okay, Let's go from life on the planet Earth to the planet Earth itself. How old do you think the planet Earth is? You're not going to get in trouble for answering this question. Regardless of how you answer it, I promise. What have you been taught in school about the age of the Earth? And let me put it that way: millions and millions, billions. I'm sorry, eight or nine thousand years. Okay, did you learn that in school? No. Oh, good for you. Fifteen thousand years. Standard geology. Yes. What have you been taught about the age of the planet? Yes, that's true. That's one of the things that you were taught. And I have just presented to you some evidence that may be um, controversial or, or, or contradictory to what you have been taught in school. That's right. That's what I'm here for. It <laughs> gets you thinking. Standard models for the age of the earth are about 4.3 to 4.5 billion years ago. That A bunch of rocks that were surrounding the, the sun coalesced into a melted hot rocky planet Um, and so four and a half call it 4.3 to 4.5 billion years ago however let me ask another question then I'm going to tie that thought together with this one have you any of you ever seen the northern lights seen the northern lights okay we actually have human bodies here tonight who have seen these glowing ribbons in the far north up high in the atmosphere I'm not making this up what you are seeing when you see the northern lights are ionized particles of matter, protons, neutrons, and so forth, flowing out of the sun and interacting high up in altitude with the magnetic field of the earth. Have any of you ever used a compass? Good. We have some Boy Scouts and others in the troops and wilderness explorers. Um, a compass will point, will basically. Is evidence that there is a magnetic field around our planet. I'm getting some nodding heads, so there's some acceptance of that. There's a magnetic field surrounding the Earth. The strength of that magnetic field has been measured by scientists, this is observational fact, this is not controversial, for about 170 years, 1830, to the, whatever. We have been measuring the strength of the Earth. And we are measuring the strength of the magnetic field on the surface of the Earth. Over that 170 years, the magnetic field has gradually gotten weaker. It's not as strong now as it was 170 years ago. That's accepted fact by most scientists. Um, Could I have the next slide? I I gave you the website reference here. This is just copied and pasted right out of the um, uh, internet search. the idea that we have aurora borealis, we have evidence of this magnetic field surrounding the planet, uh, that is orig- originates within the planet and people use compasses so we know it exists, and the fact that it's been getting weaker over time. right? We have those, it exists, it's getting weaker over time. That's the important idea to, to hold here. <clears throat> what causes it? Well, no one really knows for sure because Next slide. This is a diagram, cartoon, picture, of what we think the interior of the Earth looks like. We have this thin crust, which is Earth and granite and so forth. And then we have um, the upper mantle, and then the mantle, which is really thick. And then we have the outer core and the inner core. This is a model. Now, from where you're sitting to the center of the Earth, ballpark figure, three thousand nine hundred and eighty-nine miles. Call it four thousand miles. The diameter of the planet is about eight thousand miles from the middle of the earth to the surface is about four thousand miles. By the way, the earth is not a perfect sphere, but it's very, very close to a perfect sphere. It's closer to a perfect sphere than a bowling ball. So it's it's really quite astonishing. Now, it's four thousand miles down to the middle of the earth. How deep do you think mankind has drilled down towards the center of the earth. How far? Two miles? Do I hear five? Can I have five? Can I have seven? (laughs) Almost exactly eight miles. We've drilled down about 40,500 feet. 40,500 feet. That's what we know because we have evidence and proof. We know what the Earth is like at least from northern Siberia, down 40,500 feet. Why? Wait a minute. Ken, you said it's 4,000 miles. That is one five hundredth of the depth of the earth. Now, if you were to take an orange or a grapefruit and drill one five hundredth of the way from the surface to the middle, how much would you know about that grapefruit? Okay. This, this... (laughs) It's still in the, you haven't even scratched the peel. <laughs> this is a best guess based on circumstantial evidence. There are other ways for us to know. When an earthquake happens, a big earthquake happened in Sumatra or Japan, energy that's released by that earthquake travels through the surface of the earth and through the earth and bounces back and forth, and that gives us some information that we can derive and make some assumptions. But they're assumptions, We don't know. Okay, I'm not discounting them, but I'm saying nobody's been there. We haven't drilled down science fiction programs, the journey to the center of the Earth, great shows. Not scientific. We don't know. So uh, we have reason to believe it's not dissimilar from this. So the idea is that this mantle thing, which is the bright yellow white thing not in the very middle, is made up of liquid iron, molten iron. By the way, the reason we couldn't drill down farther than 40,500 feet was temperature. got to about 390 degrees Fahrenheit. And while we have metals that can endure that, we don't have lubricants that can endure that. So the, the, the drill bits wouldn't continue to work anymore, much deeper than that. Um, and if you take a liquid and put it under tremendous pressure, it'll turn back into a solid. I mean, liquid, solid, just the phases, physics-type stuff. So we think that there's a, a solid iron core surrounded by molten iron, Folks, that's a 1,000 miles thick, okay. and that that is in motion, and that that is what is causing this magnetic field around the planet Earth. problem with this model is what happens if something's really, really hot for a long, long time? It cools off. What if you wrap it in an insulator? Eventually, it's still going to cool off, isn't it? If the planet Earth was 4.5 billion years old, all of that hot iron would have cooled off by now. Yeah. <laughs> just just getting you thinking. So, um, <coughs> the Earth magnetic. Okay, next slide. I mentioned that the earth's magnetic field is getting weaker. There's this term in science called the half life of something. How long does it last? If uh, the the half life of uh, the magnetic field is approximately 1,400 years. So here we are is this the 20 we're in 20, 21st century okay so 1400 years ago, seventh century, the magnetic field of the earth would have been twice as strong as it is now. that's what the half- life means. and if we go back another 1400 years, 700 BC, it would have been four times as strong as it is now, right and another 1400 years and another 1400 years and another 1400 years and if you go back about seven half-lives the magnetic field of the earth that's using the assumptions um, life would not have been possible because you are made up of something mostly called water and water has a polar charge a magne- uh, there's a plus and a minus side to every water molecule and if the magnetic field 10,000 years ago it would have been the strength of a neutron star and life could not have begun, could not have started, would not have been possible to live. Not plant life, not animal life, not human life. Not birds or fishes or nothing. Not bacteria. Because water would not have arranged itself in a way. Um, so, um, again, now, there are, you, go, you can go to a NASA website, you can go to a geology website, and you will find people who will say, this is foolish talk, because we don't know because this is based on some assumptions. Did I not provide the if slide? Well, if and and the conclusion I have just drawn for you is based upon the assumption that the magnetic field of the Earth has been decaying at the same rate. We don't know that because nobody was measuring it before about 1830. Okay? So we don't know if that's a straight line or if that's a curved line on a chart. So we don't know for sure. So is this proof positive that the Earth is young? No. But it's an interesting train of thought. Okay. Have you ever been in a really, really dark place and looked up at the stars? They're really cool. Next slide. I spent the night back in college when you could do it because you can't do it now. I actually spent the night on top of Half Dome in Yosemite. Not a light to be seen. You're on the top of this dome of rock at whatever elevation it is, and there's God's universe spread out above you. Oh, my. And you can see stars just as far above the horizon because it's so dark up there. This is a huge, beautiful, magnificent, incredibly immense universe in which we live. But there's a problem. Galaxies. Now, a galaxy is a cluster that is anywhere from 100 to 400 billion stars. The distance from one edge of that galaxy to the other is 100,000 to 120,000 light years, a light year being 5.9 trillion miles. Guys, these, these, these distances are so immense. I mean, Star Trek is nice, you know, in warp speed, but it's science fiction. Um, this galaxy, which is called, this was taken with the Hubble Space Telescope. ESA, that's the European Space Agency. We don't own the Hubble all by ourselves; we share it with them. Uh, it's called a spiral galaxy, M74. If you want to go look up what M74 is, you'll find a picture. This picture here. Back in the 1930s, to start with, and as telescopes got better, astronomers discovered something about these galaxies. First of all, you see that they are in a spiral shape. I mean, you've got this glowing cluster in the front, but then you've got two arms that come out from it and sort of spiral around, getting larger and larger. We're in one of those galaxies. It's called the Milky Way. In fact, this is very, very similar in size to the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if you go to, and I did this this afternoon, say, what is the speed of the planets in the Earth, in the solar system? Mercury, it's zipping around the sun like this. And then Venus, it's zipping around the sun, but a little bit slower. And then Earth, it's going around the sun, but it's a little bit slower. We're going about 29 kilometers per second, 21 or 22 miles per second. It's faster than a bullet, around the sun. You get out there to Neptune, it's crawling along at 5 kilometers per second. It takes 168 years to make one. The Earth goes around 168 times, while Neptune out there goes around once. Okay, does that make sense? I can't give you Pluto because they declassify that as a planet poor Pluto the point being that the farther the farther away a planet is from the Sun the source the source of gravity and the source of, of mass in our galaxy in our solar system the slower it goes Sun distance slower closer in faster you with me on that You'd think the same thing would happen with galaxies. See that big glowing ball in the middle? They assume that there is a supermassive black hole the size of many thousands of our suns with a whole bunch of stars very close to it, all spinning around real fast because they're close to the center of gravity. And actually, they're spinning around in all three dimensions. The planets are spread out pretty much in a plane. Um, but, and, and so these galaxies are much the same way. There's a, a, a bulge in the middle of a bunch of stars, and then the farther out you get, it flattens out into a like a disk. Galaxies don't behave the same way as, you know, as solar systems. The stars on the outer edge... Do you have a pointer or a laser or anything? And I'm not tall enough to reach that. <laughs> The problem with galaxies is if galaxies are... 10 to 13 billion years old then they should have all wound up and there shouldn't be any spiral arms left if what we know about how galaxies or how objects behave in space near a source of gravity you know the planet or in this case the center of the galaxy then the farther out they are the slower they go and therefore the stuff on the inside gets all wound up and over a couple of billion years after several rotations looks like stirring your, you know, cream in your coffee. First time around, it's not all mixed up, but after a while, you keep stirring, and it's all the same thing, right? Galaxies are supposed to operate the same way, but they don't. They don't. So astronomers, starting with a Dutch astronomer named Jan Oort, and I'm proud to be just a little bit Dutch, um, first presented this problem, and as telescopes are get better, we can measure the speeds of those stars on the outside and the stars on the outside are going just as fast as the stars on the inside. And they're not supposed to be. That's the problem. The galaxy wind-up problem. If they're as old and if they behave the way that we think that they should, there shouldn't be spiral arm galaxies. Galaxies are not young structures. They're billions and billions of years old, at least according to the standard model. And the stuff on the outside Travels at the same rate of speed as the stuff on the inside, and then it's supposed to. So what they have proposed is this stuff called dark matter. Have you ever heard that term? Dark matter. What the proposal is, is that surrounding this source of gravity with all of the planet or all of the stars nearby is a large cloud, a very I mean, we're talking that's that's trillions and trillions of miles across. So this sphere around the outside of this galaxy is exerting a gravitational force on the stars near the edge that makes them behave differently than they should according to physics. (laughs) Dark matter is hypothesized. It's not proved. Next slide. I give you, okay, this is the M51, the Whirlpool Galaxy. Similar kind of concept. This is the same galaxy. You know sometimes you can put a filter in front of a camera Well, you can do that with telescopes, too. This is the same galaxy, not the one you just saw. This is the M51, and it's one of the classic, beautiful, and it's nice because we can see it straight on. I mean, it's perpendicular to us. We're not looking at it at an edge or an angle. Uh, So this is actually the same galaxy taken with um, regular light and then with the light eliminated, so you see the dust. Um, Let's go to the next slide. So what's the problem? Dark matter, that's the problem. It is hypothesized in order to account for the rotational velocity of the galaxies. What's the word hypothesis mean? Thank you. (laughs) A thesis a thesis is an idea. Literally it means to stand. You're taking a stand on something. Hypo means less than or under. Hypodermic under the skin. Hypothesis. Hypothesis is it's a preliminary idea to try to suggest something but I'm not sure about it so I just toss it out there. I'm taking a stand on this one. Prove me wrong. But it was hypothesized. It was thought up by an intelligent person to try to account for the fact that those stars on the outside aren't behaving the way they're supposed to. There is no direct evidence of dark matter. And yet you go to the NASA or uh, any most websites, I mean, Encyclopedia Britannica or any other website, and they'll tell you that dark matter accounts for 27% of all of the matter in the entire universe. But we can't see it. We think it's there because of the way galaxies behave. We think it's there because we know that light from a far-off galaxy, when it comes to us, gets bent. Light gets bent by gravity. And there's called gravitational lensing. And we think that there's more gravitational lensing than there should be because of dark matter. But But we know what it's not. It's not made up of protons and neutrons and electrons. It's not made up of stuff like we know it the chairs you're sitting on, the material in your body, and so forth. There is no direct evidence of dark matter. But you take a basic astronomy class at Gavilan, and they're going to tell you for sure this is a settled scientific fact. They will. I know, because they did it at Fresno State. Okay, Um, but there is no current model of physics that can explain the Big Bang. They can't explain what it is, why it is, where it came from. But you go to school, you go to college, high school, and take a basic astronomy class, they'll tell you dark matter, this is it. Okay, one more point, and then um, we'll take a break and do some Q&A. So, dark matter. So we have dinosaurs, we have the magnetic field, we have dark matter, the galaxy wind-up problem. I hope you can go to sleep not feeling too bad for the galaxies because of their wind-up problem. Next slide. Okay, there, okay, yeah. We know that we know what it's not, we don't know what it is, but we think that there's evidence that it exists, but we can't measure it. And by the way, scientists, physicists, uh, cosmologists are spending billions of taxpayer dollars in many countries around the world to try to find out how to detect it. So far we can't tell. Next slide. Um, comets. Comets are cool. They're balls of dust and rock and ice that travel around our solar system. There's two kinds of co- comets have been divided into two categories. Long period comets that means it takes them more than 200 years to make an orbit. And short period comets takes less than 200 years. Have any of you remember 1986 seeing Halley's comet or Halley's comet? Okay. Many of us are old enough to remember that. A couple of months ago um, we saw a comet Ison and I've got a picture of that in a moment. But before we get there What is the problem with short period comets? If, this is an assumption, the universe is 14.7 billion years old, or 13.7, don't split hairs with me, what's a billion here or there? And if the solar system is 4.5, plus or minus a few, billion years old, and if, and I'm presenting the idea that this is the case, there is no source for short period comets. We don't know, where they came from. There's no new source for these objects that come in and out around the sun for where new ones come from. There is no evidence, no source for short period comets. So if the solar system is that old, and if the universe is that old, and if there is no source for them, there shouldn't be any more. Because every time a comet goes around the sun, somehow it gets burned up. Problem is that short period comets exist. Next slide taken four months ago. Nice telescope here on planet Earth, Comet Ison Went around the Sun once and barely anything came out. Basically there will not be a Comet Ison in another 180 or 200 years because most of it was burnt every time it goes around the Sun the heat from the Sun and those particles coming out from the Sun called the solar wind cause the surface of it to melt and it breaks up so it gets smaller and smaller each time around. Halley's Comet, or some people pronounce it Halley's, is getting smaller and smaller each time it goes around. Next picture. Here's Halley's Comet. 86, let's see, what's that? 96, 06, 27 years ago. Um, Okay. I wanted to quote from a newspaper editorial taken December 11th. Next slide. Rest in peace, Comet Ison, we miss you. Comet Ison has been officially declared extinct after its close slingshot around the sun on November 28th. Initial hopes that some of the comets survived the solar passage were short-lived as it soon became clear that the comet was destroyed by the sun encounter. So it only got one trip around, and now it's gone. So what has been presented by... So since there should not be any more short-period comets astronomers, and again that same Dutch astronomer, Jan Oort, hypothesized something called a cloud. He named it after himself. It's the Oort cloud. Next slide. In 1950, Jan Oort noticed that no no comet had been observed coming from interstellar space. Instead, all long-period comets have orbits that lie at a great distance and have no direction preferential. For these reasons, he deduced a deduction is a piece of logic derived from the fact that there's no alternative explanation. I deduced that this happened because I can't think of any other way it could have. Right? Now, it's not wrong or bad. It's just, it's, it's, not, it's uncertain. He deduced the existence of a vast cloud of comets, named the Oort cloud, with the shape, next picture. Ne- there you go with the shape of a diffuse spherical shell, which is about 50,000 astronomical units. I mean, an astronomical unit is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. It's about 93 million miles. It's about a fifth of the way to the nearest star. Okay, you see those little yellow lines in the middle? That's the Sun. And the number one there, that's us on the planet Earth. And then the ten, that means ten times as far from the Sun as the Earth is, you're out to um, Neptune and Uranus. And then you get out to uh, 100 times, and then 1,000 times, and then 10,000 times, and then 100,000 times. So he has deduced that there is this vast sphere of objects surrounding the solar system in all dimensions, top, bottom, sides, um, because there's no other explanation for short period comets unless the solar system hasn't been here for that long. Next slide. I want to read this with emphasis to you. I know you can read it for yourself. I have bolded these words because this is the kind of stuff you see in scientific journals. And again, I just quoted this from the Oort cloud website. The statistics imply, do the statistics prove? No, the statistics imply that this cloud, which surrounds the entire solar system, could, doesn't say does, contains perhaps up to 10 billion objects. I've seen another website that up to a trillion objects. In this hypothesis, this assumption, this guess, the Oort cloud may account for a significant fraction of the mass of the solar system, perhaps even more than Jupiter itself, which is the largest of all the planets by far. Unfortunately, since the individual comets are so small and at such a long distance that the scientists have very little evidence about the Oort cloud... I want to clarify that. They do not have very little evidence. They have no evidence. (laughs) They think it must be there because if it's not there, then there's no other source for short period comets. And that might force them to think that this solar system is not as old as they think it is. That's their logic. Okay. Next slide. Does this prove anything? Does it prove anything? No. They're suggestions. They're hints that the Earth, life on Earth, the solar system, are young. And if they're young, then the Bible's a lot more likely to be true. And the standard model of evolution, origin of life on Earth by accident, is not true. And what is not true is what is being taught in every public school and public university in the United States of America and almost the entire world. The prevailing paradigm of academia is we're just a random accident, folks. Okay, so there's suggestive indicators that they're all young, less than the standard model of four and a half billion years, and much closer to a 10,000-year life frame. Okay, so what? Next slide. This is what we started with, science. Faith or facts, what's truth? Next slide. Truth has a name. Truth has a name. I have read philosophers and apologists and theologians and uh, scientists. And in all that I have read about what other people have read and other people have said, to my knowledge, no human being in history has ever claimed to be the truth. They have claimed to tell you the truth, they have claimed to have a portion of truth, but they've never claimed to personally be the truth. I am the way, he said to Thomas, and the truth and the life. Science is interesting and fascinating and we can argue about it, but the important thing is that we know Jesus the relationship that we have with the Savior and Redeemer, the creator of the universe. And scripture is clear that Jesus made the universe. And all those galaxies and all that stars and all that energy and all that distance, yeah, that was the fifth day. It was a good day. That was a good day. Day five. Day five was a good day. Day six, he made men. Then he got it right and made a woman. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Thank you for your attention.